Music Raygun. I'm Paul Champanelli. I'm Kirk Pinchon. This is the show where we pick a music-related topic, then we watch YouTube clips about that topic and talk about them. And if you go to musicraygun.com, you'll find a video playlist for this and every episode so you can see what we're talking about. Right, Kirk? Oh, yeah. Kirk, every once in a while we do an episode on one person, one artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this time we're doing an episode about someone who's been around for so long who is such a multi-hyphenate and has worked with so many other legends that he's worth many artists in one package. Wouldn't you agree with that? A hundred percent. He's a composer, a writer, a band leader, an arranger and conductor, and a producer working in jazz, pop, TV and film scores, soul and R&B. He has 27 Grammys and 79 nominations. That's insane. And he also made Rashida Jones. Who are we talking about, Kirk? We're talking about Mr. Quincy Jones. Q. Yes. Quincy Jones. Q. One of the uh, titans of, I was going to say pop music, but all music. Of all music. Yeah. Yes. I love Quincy Jones. Fun fact, mm-hmm. I tried to get my wife to name my son Theodore Quincy <laughs> just so I could have him have the nickname Q. Q. And she's like, that's dumb. That's not dumb. I know. And then we've, it's now it's this family lore, and my yeah. son is like, I'm so glad you didn't name him. That's a terrible name. I'm like, you could have been named Q. I would have called you Q. But here's the thing. You could have just named him Q. That would have been I could have done that. Super cool. I think they would have hated that. <laughs> just a letter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's not the only thing that makes Quincy Jones awesome. True. We're going to do a very surface-scratching career overview of him on this episode. Yeah, it would take forever. Although, I think when we planned the episode, it seemed like, oh, he's done so much, it's going to be so easy to put things together, but hard to pick. It actually was kind of hard to find things, because there's not a lot of, like, video. Exactly. It's but, all just a lot of audio. There's so much audio yeah. out there. But yeah, there was video was a little challenging. But yeah. we, we both managed to come up with some interesting stuff. I, I'm pleased with what I have. But we're going to go back to the early 60s to start. Mm-hmm with a jazz piece that he composed, which is sort of a signature tune. Mm-hmm. This is the piece called Soul Bossa Nova. Oh, yes. Which I assume you know. Yes. It's from 1962. He was 29 years old oh, my God. when he wrote, recorded it. Yeah. In his autobiography, he said that he wrote the whole thing in 20 minutes, which I don't, I don't know if I believe that totally. I'm sure it was more than... Yeah, that, but it, it, I mean, it was that's still probably a, pretty quick. Yeah, for him to say twenty minutes, I was like, all right, maybe it took an hour. Yeah, exactly. But but that's still pretty amazing. Um, if anyone, especially my age, hears me say "Soul Bossa Nova" by Quincy Jones and thinks they don't know it, I think a lot of people will know it as the theme from the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> yes, which is what I still think of when I hear it. I can see that. Yeah, that's how I first heard it, and then went oh, back. really? You didn't know it before that? No, I knew all this stuff in the seventies. Okay. And then yeah. went back and... Yeah. And I, I learned later that it was not a composition for the movie. Specifically made for Austin Powers. Right, right, right. Uh, but the performance we're going to watch is actually from 2002 uh, when Quincy Jones was on Letterman to promote his autobiography in like a box set. Oh, career nice. retrospective. And he was a guest on the show and he conducted the band playing... Uh, Soul Bossa Nova. So oh, we're going to see a live performance with Quincy actually actually conducting it. I thought it would be good to start with a video where we actually get to see Quincy. Yes. So we're going to hear we're going to hear Dave introduce first. What do you think, huh? This is it. Yes, sir. 
Our next guest has won uh, 26 Grammy Awards in his five-decade career. I guess he won another one. He won another one. Oh, my God. It's crazy. As a producer, arranger, musician, and conductor. Look at this. It's a, a new four-CD <clears throat> box set entitled Q, as well as a new autobiography about the man's life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Quincy Jones. Song is so fun. Oh, it's so good. I've never heard it live. Yeah, this this version is a little slower than you I used was to hear just it. thinking that. So for, for for the first few bars, you're going to be like, oh, this one yeah. kind of drags. But then once you get used to the tempo of this version, you're like, oh, this this grooves. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah. It's oh all about God. the piccolos and the cuica. <laughs> yeah. The, like the cuica is a pretty. It's it's like the sound of the song is that it's the, it's the central thing you hear. Yeah. Yeah. But I gotta say, in this performance, as you just heard, the cuica play is like so extra. Yes. Like he's really, <laughs> he's really laying into it. He's like, I'm on Letterman, man. Yeah. I want to sell it. I mean, it's such a funny instrument. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so odd. Yeah. It's and the sound doesn't match the instrument. Right, and it looks like a drum. Yes, but you play it from the inside. Yeah, and you're like, but the sound makes it sound like it would be almost like a horn or something. It's literally named after a, a species or a breed of opossum in Brazil that makes oh, that sound. That my sort God. of yelping sound. I thought it would be named after a bird. Yeah. Yeah, like those uh, laughing mm-hmm. uh, Australian birds. Yeah. yeah. I like his whole ensemble of just guys that are old <laughs> who have like been around for like 30 years. Yeah, but like, they're all cool. They're like old jazz guys. They're old jazz guys who are like, yeah, we got this. But even this is like 15 years old. I know, that's crazy. That is that more than that. Yeah. I saw him in concert last year. Really? Yeah. At the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that was well. Did they do Soul Boss and No, they kind of were blanking on the three. He focused on three albums. Okay. Uh, from the early 70s, and I'm blanking on all three of them. Um, and had special guests come in and sing. He, he was on stage for the time, and mostly he just, because he's a real old. Yeah. He just sat. Yeah, he's in his, like, 80s already. Yeah, yeah, he just sat and then would kind of lead conduct a little bit and then got up at the end and spoke and was really funny and charming and yeah. and then uh, conducted some more. It was a great concert. Was one of the albums Smackwater Jack? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was. Uh, and then um, I have like two other cover images dancing in my head right now. And I can't think of the title. Yeah, I have to look it up. But that was definitely one. Yeah, so it was like early 70s stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. like 71. Yes. Yeah, it was... It was not sure why they focused on those three. They weren't like huge hits from them, but uh, it was great. I also like that the tempo's a little slower because I'm able to appreciate it more on its own merits without seeing Mike Myers parading yes. through the London streets. Yes, because it's slower, I'm focusing on the music and not hit the Austin Powers dancing. Right, it's not as exciting, but it is like cooler. Yeah. 
I'd almost love to believe Quincy's like, that's why I did it this way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing it on lemon slower so people don't think of awesome powers. I know right, that. Right, right. Because this would have only been like five years after that movie, too. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there was the original, and there were more sequels that were even yeah. more recent at that point. I mean, I give the movie credit for no having the smarts to be like, we need to play full Bossa Nova. Yeah. In this. this is what needs to happen. I mean, that's a great movie. Yeah. It's a great movie, and just so smart to play this song. And it introduced a lot of people to the yeah. classic songs. Yeah. So I thought that was a good way yeah. to start it. No, that is nice. Um, I was telling you before, we're going to watch a bunch of my video picks first because just the way that we each picked our respective videos, a bunch of mine, we're doing it in chronological mm-hmm. order. So a bunch of mine come first chronologically. So if anyone listening loves music Raygun because they're big Kirk fans, but they hate me, <laughs> just be patient. Yeah. Don't skip this it's episode. Okay. Just listen. Just, yeah, hang tight or, or skip ahead. Yeah. Kirk's, Kirk's videos are coming up. <laughs> but that one was one of my picks. We're going to do another one of my picks. Uh, this, uh, is an artist who I don't think most people associate with Quincy Jones. If they know Quincy Jones is, if they don't know his history, Mm -hmm. but one of his early successes was producing this artist's hits and sort of breaking her into the mainstream and himself getting some, um, early recognition in pop music after he had some success in jazz because he produced... It's My Party for Leslie Gore mm-hmm. and sort of discovered her when she was she was a junior in high school when she made that record. I didn't know she was that young. Yeah. Wow. And he produced like all her, well, all her follow-up hits. There's yeah. like two. Yeah. Two big hits. Uh, we're not going to watch It's My Party, which is a fine song. Yeah. No but problem. it's not my favorite Leslie Gore song. My favorite Leslie mm-hmm. Gore song uh, is You Don't Own Me. I not sure if I know you. This. Definitely know okay. This one. Maybe I just don't know it by name. Yeah, the 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 performance we're gonna watch is from a, a 1964 concert movie called The Tammy Show. Do you know what The Tammy no. Show is? It's amazing. T A M I, which stands for Teenage Music International. I don't, oh, oh, I've heard. Okay, yeah, 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 I've heard that. Yeah, time. it was a it was a black and white concert movie. But yeah. the lineup in this movie is amazing. It's got uh, Beach Boys, James Brown, Marvin Gaye. The Rolling Stones, Leslie Gore, like others. But I, I mean, I guess back in the early 60s, uh, there was no MTV. Yeah. And you might see an act you like on the Ed Sullivan show or whatever, but there wasn't a lot of opportunity to see the bands you love. Yeah, that's true. That you hear on the radio. So I guess this movie was a big deal for artists at that point. So Leslie Gore did like, a, you know, every act did a few songs. Had their own little section. Right. So we're going to watch her doing You Don't Own Me, which is like a really intense, for some reason the cam, camera is just way up in her grill the whole time. It's just really intense close up with Vaseline around the lens. So it creates this really oh. weird, like dreamy effect for the song. And, uh, Quincy didn't write this or anything, but he did produce the original record. So it counts. And Leslie Gore, her career, I think, is an important part of his career. Yeah, because it brought him into that pulp realm. That's right. That pop realm. And this song is just a great feminist anthem. Oh, look at that Vaseline. Good yeah. God. And her hair could not be more 1963. Yes. Okay. She just died a few years ago, like three years ago. 
like how she has a little attitude about it. Yeah. So it's like she's underselling it a little bit, like, fuck you. Yeah. Don't tell me, you don't know me. Like, it's very, like, tossed off almost. And she's not, like, pouring her heart out. Like, yeah, it's more like if there's a little bit of a sneer to it. Yeah, exactly, which is yeah. great. Like, fuck you. You know what I mean? No, she's still in high school. Yeah. So she's got that. It's punk rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if it was at this time, because with songs like this, where you're like a, a, a young woman going, you don't know me. Yeah. I wonder if that was considered, oh, wow. that's. She also, well, she obviously, at the time, she wasn't out yet, but she is also gay. Oh, I didn't know So that. I, I don't know how much that may have informed her attitude in this song. It's just yes. like, uh, no. Yeah. But that's what's great. Back the fuck off. Even with this Vaseline sheen, she's like, eh, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, because it does have a veil of being a ballad, but yes. it's more of a fuck off song. Exactly, which yeah. is fascinating. It's also so different from It's My Party. Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. She's selling it, man. Oh, yeah. She's insane. For a kid, she was like 17 here. Oh, my God. She's so much more composed than... Yeah, she's really, like, sure of herself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that attitude was great. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that a great... I love that song. That's and cool. I thought that performance from that movie is cool. Okay, another clip of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quincy Jones composed one of the best... TV theme songs of all time, if not the best. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to that a little later. Yep. We're going to talk now about a different TV theme song he composed, which is also awesome. Fairly well-known, although not as well-known as the one we're going to get to. This is the theme from Ironside. Do you know this? I know the theme from Ironside. I don't know Ironside because it was before my time. Yeah. This is 1967. Yeah. To the early 70s. Yeah. This was a real big, like my, my, my stepdad's. Love yeah, this is a real like, d- like greatest generation dads yep. show. Yeah, they're like yeah, Ironside. Yeah. yeah. So, do you know the premise of Ironside? It doesn't matter to the theme. He but was just a, to give it some uh, detective, I believe. He was a police chief detective oh, uh-huh. who, in the pilot, is shot and paralyzed from the waist down. Yes. So he yes he, he uses a wheelchair. Yes. Also, his name is Robert T. Ironside, which is badass. Right, like. Yes, and he's in a wheelchair. In a iron wheelchair. Double meaning, iron side. <laughs> Subtle. Right, right, right. The show is on, it stars uh, Raymond Burr. That's who right. was Perry Mason before this. Yeah. And then after this, I think he did it again in the 80s. Yeah, that was it. They like kind of did a reboot yeah. and like made it in like movies, I think. Right, but Ironside was the drama he was in in the late 60s, early 70s. And Quincy Jones did the theme. And again, people my age might know this better from a more recent movie. Because it was used sort of iconically in Kill Bill whenever Daryl Hannah's character would show up. Oh, fuck. The, the first couple seconds yeah. of the theme, which is like this weird alarm sound, yeah. would would come on the soundtrack to indicate that that, that character here. was there. And that's from Ironside? Yeah, it's the theme oh, from Ironside. Oh, shit, I didn't even put the two together. So it's this real, if this is also the first TV theme to use a, a, a synthesizer. No, really? Yes. I guess 67, that would be. Wow. Yeah. And he he composed it as a TV theme. So ori- originally it was only like 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it is. But then later he expanded it into like a four minute, like full piece. Mm-hmm. And it's on uh, the album we were just talking about before. Uh, what was what did I say the name of it was? Sweetwater. 
The one I you told me about? Yeah, Smackwater Jack. Smackwater Jack. It's on Smackwater Jack. Yeah. Uh, but we're just gonna we're not gonna listen to the whole thing. We're just gonna actually watch the opening credits from Ironside, which are cool in themselves. I'm they're pretty very excited. Sexy. I've never yeah. seen so. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, this is a badass song. Which just that sound, like, did people's dogs just go crazy? Like, it so announces itself. Yeah, it's like here's the show, but it's yeah. also like I'm like. It just started. I'm starting to get like jacked. You know, oh yeah! Like, Fuck yeah! And then, the, and then this. I want to back it up to start over again because I just love to hear that. Yeah. But then the actual musical sting that happens after that, like siren, is so cool. Yeah. And it actually like shows him getting shot. Oh yeah! Shit. Yeah. You're watching television. <laughs> yes. Television is on. <laughs> the TV's on. Yeah. People be quiet. Ironside's on. Yeah. My show is on. <laughs> oh, my God. The song is great. It's so cool. I like he's a detective with a gun yep. in his wheelchair. That's all there is to it, but I just, just to continue... On Ironside, I found a cool clip from the early 80s of Quincy conducting a band live doing the theme for my Ironside. That's crazy. So let's let's watch that. Because, again, it's just a little groovier and uh, just slightly different from yeah. the version you know. Oh, you can hear it in the background, yeah. Because well, they don't have the synth Yeah. Wow, look at this video. Quincy's a little more animated than he was on the Letterman show yeah. years later. Look at that dude slapping the bass. Yeah, and now it's the full version, the full version. Oh, this is cool. What's amazing is like, so this is from 81. Yeah. And he's already, that's going into his like third decade. Yeah. Yeah, he, he started out doing jazz in the 50s. Yeah, oh yeah, so maybe going into his fourth. Yeah. Yeah, is, yeah that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, he's been around for a minute. He's been around, yeah. I mean, good God. This, this is a cool TV thing. Yeah, this is a good TV thing. It's also one of those TV things where you're like, I get what this is. Yeah. I get this show. Real, yes, exactly. I mean, if you, if I'd never heard it before and I'd never heard of Ironside, and you just played this music for me and you were like, now describe the show <laughs> yeah. that this is the theme for. I'm sure I would say it's a crime drama. Yeah, probably like a police show. Yeah, I might even use the word detective. Yeah, I bet I would get. I bet anyone would get pretty close yes. to the mark just based on the music alone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how great would it be if you also guessed? And I guess he was in a wheelchair. <laughs> That's just my thought from the music. Yeah, like you just uh, <laughs> just seeing someone sitting down. <laughs> I just. I just visualize it. Right. Uh, look at this early 80s guy just play the trumpet. Yep. I feel like this particular performance was maybe more coke fueled than the original recording. <laughs> yes. Where they're like, guys, we're about yeah. to play Ironside Live. Let's do some lines. I've never seen a minute of the show Ironside. But never seen this one This makes me want to watch it. Yeah. I, I worry that 
because it was the 60s that it's a little slower paced than what the song oh, I'm sure it is. Because the song makes it like, oh, this is going to be action packed. Yeah. Where, but just by the nature of the time, that show would have felt very slow to us. Yeah, not only because of the pacing of TV in general, but also because of like TV quote unquote action heroes in the 70s were just like real schlubby middle aged <laughs> yes. guys. Lucky they could throw a punch. Yeah. But this I mean, makes you it... watch the taking of Pelham one, two, three, and that's an awesome movie. But then you're like, wait a minute, why is Walter Matthau an action star? <laughs> wait, he's our hero? Yeah, it's stuff like Telly Savalas <laughs> and Kojak <laughs> and Raven Burrs, uh, different, uh, different kind of thing. Yes, but let's skip right, a- right ahead yep. to the TV theme song I referred to earlier. Yep, you picked this video. I of course also had picked it before you sent me yeah, your picks, course. but I, I knew you were going to send it to me. Yeah, it had. You when you say Quincy Jones, it's one of the first two or three things you think of. Absolutely, oh. yes. And this is the theme song to Sanford Son. Sanford Son. Do you know the actual name it's, of the song? It, it's an actual full song because it's on his best album. It's a great full song. I, I assume, like Ironside, it was composed as a short theme first and then later yes, expanded. Yes, this is what happened. It's something man. No, it's called the Street Beater. The Street Beater. That's the Street right. Beater. The Street Beater, which is a great name for uh, a song. But this is arguably the greatest TV theme of all time. Yes. And one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Great show. I own a DVD box set of the whole series. Unfortunately, I don't have a DVD <laughs> player like, anymore. No one has DVD players. Yeah, I have no way to watch it. I've got oh, I've got a stack of, of uh, DVDs of every episode great. of Sanford inside of No Way to Watch. Because it, it had a, a decent run. Yeah, it was on for, I don't know, was seven seasons, yeah. something like that. And... Uh, I discovered that show on my own because my mom hates Red Fox. Oh, I, so but funny. they used to show repeats of it. Like I'm yeah. sure they still do. It's just on all the time. Yeah, I, so, that's how I got it from repeats. Yeah. yeah. Um, but let's just watch the San Francisco yeah. opening. That beginning. And it's it's so the opposite of Ironside. <laughs> yes. But again, you go. I bet you this is a comedy. It's oh, like yeah. a wacky, uh, odd couplish comedy. Yeah. yeah. This uh, another reason why I love this song so much was that. Uh, in the early 90s when I was living in Chicago with my friend Mike, this was on our answering machine. Oh. And we thought, God, we're funny. They're so <laughs> Was funny. it just the music or did you come up with like some sort of oh. answering machine themed words? Like, no, it was like, we're not home now. <laughs> Would you leave a message at the tone, Kirk and Michael or whatever? We fucking should have done that because that's actually better than what we did. No, it's not. You should have. <laughs> Basically, I think I just like, hey, you've reached... Kirk Sanford Pinchon and Mike Sunbuyer. We're not here right now. Like, I literally think that was it. It was real, just not even putting an effort in here. <laughs> yeah, well, just one of the greatest little pieces of yeah, TV it's music. Yes. I just miss TV theme songs. They, yeah. It lets you know, like, okay, settle in. You're about to watch a show. Yeah. I mean, even in the 80s, they had great ones. Yeah. I haven't heard a great one. Ever. They, well, they don't even have them. Yeah, anymore. I mean, like, skip right to it. I'm not is... going to count Friends as a good theme song. <laughs> don't we, we, We've talked about that <laughs> yeah. before. We've talked about that before. I know that you don't like it. Uh, okay, next up is another one of your picks. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this band before. We've talked about them in the context of Quincy Jones when we did our funk episode. We talked yes. about the Brothers Johnson. Yes. Sort of. Discovered and shepherded to fame by Quincy Jones. Yes, and produced a lot uh, of their stuff. Right. We uh, talked about how he produced at least their entire first album. Yes, definitely their first. And then I think 
sporadic songs. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually they produce themselves. But um, The performance we watched on the past episode was Is It Love That We're Missing? Yeah, which is a Quincy... No, it's a... It's a, it's a uh, it's a Brothers Johnson song, but Quincy's on it. Yes. Not just producing it. It appeared on a Quincy Jones album before it appeared on the Brothers Johnson's yes. debut album. Yes. So it's on the Brothers Johnson, but Quincy's actually on it as well. Right. And when we watched that clip from Soul Train, he performed it with them. Yes. It was lip synced because it's Soul Train. Yes. But he was on stage miming to it with the Brothers Johnson. Yes. Um, that's not their big hit. Their big hit also from their first album is Strawberry Letter 23. Which is a great song. Yes, also a, also a classic. Yep. Not written by them or Quincy Jones. That's a cover of a Shuggy Otis song. I did not know that. Yeah, the original is great, too. I did not know that at all. Um, but another great song from that album produced by Quincy Jones is the one we're going to watch now. Yes, uh, Get the Funk Out My Face. What, what did you just say? Get the Funk Out My Face. Watch your mouth on this show. <laughs> Get the funk, not get the funk out of my face. Not even get the funk out of my yeah. face. Get the funk out of my, my face. face. Which is even better. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's funky as hell. It, this is one of the funkiest songs ever. And it's I just just the attitude of it. Is, it yeah. the, song, the title says it alone. It's cool. And this is another Soul Train clip. But yeah. it's not a Brothers Johnson performance. It's just a, they're dancing to it. It's just them dancing it's classic to Classic Soul Train. It's classic dance. Soul Train that I had to get in. And Don Cornelius is the coolest dude of all time. I love that this is the beginning of the song. Yeah. This is this is real funky funk where it's kind of yeah. like, And just like, you don't like my music? You don't have to use it? That's yeah. the greatest line. Oh, it's so good. Now, Jody Watley right there. Ah. Yes, a very young Jody Watley. What do you call that move with the sort of mime? That's, uh... I think that's what is it called that the mirror. The mirror. Uh, but that's like more of a mime. It's a kind of dance thing. version of the mime trapped in the yes. box kind yes. of thing. But uh, I even though we called it the mirror, I don't think that's officially what it was. But it was just a mime thing that breakers and hopper lockers were really used. Um, yeah, I, the brothers Johnson. I mean, I could never not talk about that. Oh uh, yeah, they're way they're uh, way underappreciated. Yeah. I'm not gonna say underrated. No, anyone who. Likes them, loves yeah. them, but they're underappreciated. It's like we said, they, they they had a long and good career, but they should have been monsters. Yeah, and you don't hear them name checked as much as they yeah. deserve. Yes, and this is this is like the height of cool uh, uh, soul train. Yeah, this is like what seventy four or five. Five, I think. Like yeah, yeah. And that bass, that thunderbolt oh, bass. God, that bass is silly. I, it's Lots of the, great afros among the yes, in this place. and a great t-shirt that just says Rolls Royce. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. This is a little snippet. The song's longer, but uh, that's a little snippet just so we get a little, little soul train action in there. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about another great artist. I, I'm so happy you put this in. Yeah, this is this is a few years later now. We're skipping right ahead to 1980, so it's yeah. more disco-y than funk. Yeah. Uh, well, this is an artist who was sort of a jazz guitar player first and then had some pop success. Yes. Uh, probably best known for his live cover of On Broadway. Yeah. But this is one of his biggest hits called Give Me the Night. It's George Benson. I grew up with George Benson. Yeah. Love George Benson. I have about five or six of his albums I inherited from my dad. Yeah. This is one of them. 
He's great. He's, I mean, obviously he's a great guitar player. Yes. I also really like his voice. He can sing. Yeah. 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 It is funny though. Like he's that, like his early stuff is super jazz fusion. Yeah. He played with Miles Davis. Yeah. Like yeah. he played like just experimental stuff. And then it was one of those things where the late seventies, eighties came out. I was like, I'll have a few hits. This yeah. Will be good. Well, yeah. and Quincy Jones helped him out, helped him. Yeah. Because he was already established as a solo artist before Q yes. worked, worked with him. But Quincy Jones produced the whole album that this comes from. It's the yeah. title track from an album called Give Me That. Yeah. It's a great album. And, uh, Quincy won him a bunch of Grammys with this album. So. Oh, he won Grammys with this. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's great. And uh, if anyone listening is a Flight of the Concords fan, their video for the song Ladies of the World is like straight up an homage to this video. You've mentioned that, and I've never really watched night. the Flight of the Concord, but I love that they they reference yeah. this video is a very early 80s video, and it's, it's great. It's, I mean, there's no way to describe it other than roller skating. <laughs> <laughs> roller skating with George Benson playing, playing guitar while on skate. Who can fucking roller skate? Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is, they're basically telling you like, Hey, play this at the roller rink. Yes. Which it's perfect for. Perfect. It's the perfect uh, groove rhythm to just go around a yeah. circle. The first shot of the video is him roller skating backwards down like the board. Yeah, that's yeah. Venice. Yeah. Oh, that's what you do to this. Yeah. Such. Yeah. Okay. I wish there were a cleaner copy of the video on YouTube. There are no. Like, yeah. Hi, there are no uh, high res versions of the video so it doesn't look great but yeah I mean this also was a time where videos even weren't really MTV wasn't around yet they weren't really doing videos but there's no official George Benson YouTube channel where they would have up- uploaded a clean copy of but uh music stuff sounds great yeah but this is like this takes me back to like being in the car driven somewhere with my mom yeah and this was just on the radio i don't have any nostalgia for yeah, this song i just love it for yeah, what it is yeah i mean it's a great song but also yeah it just it makes me like oh i'm in the car and this song is on yeah i it's love got, this it's got like six different hooks in yeah it. this hook is great right here but it is very um since it's 1980, it's, and this is not an insult. It's the last kind of push for disco. Yeah, this is the this is the end. Yeah, yeah. this is the end. But it's still great. Oh, yeah. it, it's so good that I feel, and it's not so disco-y either. That no. I feel like even people who hated disco at the time would have been like, ah, I can, yeah. this one's this one's okay. Yeah, it's not necessarily feels very heavily disco. Yeah. And him, it's funky enough. It is, yeah. It's got a little more funk to it. It's and it's because because it grooves a little slower in a really up tempo fast. Uh, and it's not music. cheesy the way that so much disco. Yeah, like when the, the disco at the time I was just trying to be disco yeah. to make a buck. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with Quincy Jones's taste level, which oh, is yeah. impeccable. Exactly. Like he's like, I'll make a disco album, but it's going to be my the way I do it. Right. 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 Awesome. And this is, by the way, we haven't even mentioned him in context of Michael Jackson. We will talk about that in a minute. Yes. Because he produced every this great is. album Michael did. But this falls squarely between Off the Wall and Thriller. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yes. Off the Wall is 70. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 80. So, yeah. This is 80 that's or 81. Yeah. And Thriller is 83. Yeah. So. While Michael was. Uh, Taking a break, he's like, "All right, I'm gonna work on something." He's like, "I'm working with George." Yep. Yeah. 
which I'm sure you got to think. I'm sure they knew each other, oh, yeah. just from the jazz aspect of it. Yeah, both of them are jazz guys who moved into pop, so yeah. it makes sense. So it makes sense that the two of them would be together. Uh, also, uh, he did a little bit in this though. George Benson is the master of. I'm going to play guitar and scat at the exact same time. Yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm also like, which is really fucking hard to do. Yeah, I mean, like the fact that, uh, and he can roller skate. <laughs> and Chubabo. What can't he do? <laughs> oh, that is uh, very nostalgic for me. Yeah, okay. Right. I'm glad you like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the elephant in the room, a monster you have to talk about in terms of Quincy Jones is Michael Jackson. Yes. I mean, that's I the, mean, the, the biggest thing together. he ever did. He produced yeah. Off the Wall, he produced Thriller, and he produced Bad. Yes. The three biggest Michael Jackson. Yes. Are all Quincy Jones productions. Yes. All of them just wall-to-wall hits, too. Yeah. Like, all of them, you're just like, there's like five or six hits. Well, all of Thriller is a hit. And then, like, the other two, there's seven or eight just big monster hits on that. It's crazy how big those albums are. Yeah, and if, if but if there's anything that made Michael Jackson a star as a solo act, other than his own talent and force of will, which is the most, most of the reason. Yes. Well, other than himself, Quincy Jones is the reason. Yes. His, his the, guidance. Their collaboration is crucial. Yeah. So we're going to watch a whole 10-minute long segment of a documentary, uh, the origins of which I don't know. I found this clip on YouTube. I don't know the documentary it's taken from. But it's all about Quincy making Thriller. with Michael Oh, okay. Uh, and it seems like it's uh, – there's a lot of footage contemporary to the time and then some – more recent Talking Heads interviews talking about oh, cool. making the album. So. In late 1982, Quincy gathered his A-team mm. at Westlake Studios in Los Angeles. It was here they set about recording what was to become the biggest selling album of all time. I can't, again, I think we've said this before when we talk about Michael. I have no concept of a world without Michael Jackson or even a world where Thriller doesn't exist. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember what it was like for Thriller to be like new. It's just always was yeah, in the fabric of pop culture. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's Michael Jackson. Like, I don't know of a world without Michael Jackson being some sort of star. Right. Yeah. But you you would have been 12 or 13 when Thriller came out. So yeah. you must remember like the impact it had when it came out. Oh yeah. It was ridiculous. I yeah. mean, I remember the impact of, off the wall wasn't as a big of an impact, but I remember that. Um, I remember being four years old and playing it on my parents' turntable and that it would have only been a three or four year old record at that point. Yeah. God, that's crazy. But it's still, it's so early in yeah. my memory that it's just always, I can't hear these songs. There's a quote from, uh, the academic Harold Bloom, who's like the world's leading mm-hmm. expert on Shakespeare and, and like Romeo and Juliet, where he said something like, I'd give up everything just to be able to read Romeo and Juliet again for the first time. Oh, like I know it so yeah. well that it's, you know what I mean? It's like, I almost can't enjoy mm-hmm. it. It's not that I don't enjoy Thriller, but I hear that music and I'm yeah. just like, yeah, this just, that just it's, exists. It's like in the fabric of your life now. Yeah. Like it is God. Yeah. Somebody's going to say, you know what he told us? Oh, I love this song. He said, okay, guys, engineer. Yeah. we're here to save the recorded music industry. 
because I listen to the orchestra like an x-ray machine because I've been around it all my life. It's what I do. And if it's too thick, too thin, too slow, too fast, wrong key, whatever it is, I love to do it just listen. Basically, Quincy Jones can see music like the Matrix. Yeah, yeah but it's, I have no doubt that that's true. Yeah, and that like, just stuff where he's like, yeah, that's too thin. And he's probably like an right. abstract way of yeah. evaluating music yeah. that an expert can just, yeah. Yeah, and, and, not, and also to know like exactly how to adjust what instrumentation, where in the mix, and how much to get it thicker, where it needs yes. to be thicker, or yes. whatever that means. Right? Oh, yeah, I have no idea what that means, yeah. but I know that he knows what it means and how to fix it. Right, because yeah. he can almost see music visually. Yeah. This is his home demo, which he brought into the studio for Quincy and the team to hear. Together they worked their magic and produced one of the standout tracks on the album. By the way, they don't mention it in the stock, but Quincy co-wrote only one song on Thriller. Do you know what one it is? Um, let me see. Okay, I'm going to figure this out. Uh, I know... Wait, no, that's from the wrong album. Sorry. Uh, was it... Uh, Lady in My Life? Nope. I think you'll be surprised by which one it is. It wasn't Thriller. No. Want to be starting something? Nope. What was it? PYT. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah, because yeah, Thriller is covered and I thought by Rod Kemper. I thought it was covered by Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Well, for anyone listening, this song is Billy G. Yeah, if you guys don't know, look it up. I know if you've heard it's this. It's kind of hard to find. That's yeah, but it's it's a it's <laughs> worth a dig. It's worth diving deep. In the studio, um, laying down the tracks, and no matter how good it was, you know, I think Quincy always had to have another take. Um, of course he's he did. Perfectionist in that way. Anybody who's worked with him uh, notices this. We he'll make you do a thing until it's perfect. He'll say, it's beautiful. We have a take. Then he'll say, well, can you give us one more? <laughs> I love that because, like, Michael Jackson is a known perfectionist. perfectionist. Yeah. For, so for for even him to be like, this guy likes a lot of takes, mm-hmm. is Quincy must really like a yeah, lot of takes. exactly. For a guy that, Michael Jackson, who needs perfection. If, if Michael Jackson the one is the one in the room going, I think we got it. <laughs> Then we're cute, we're good, right? <laughs> now smelling. One yeah. more. <laughs> you did it right and you figure out what it's about. Quincy and Bruce were determined to produce an album that would be remembered not just for the music, but also for the quality of its sound. I'm curious about that quote early on where he said, Quincy told Bruce, we're here to save the recording music industry. Because where was it at this time that it needed saving? Was this like where everyone thought home dubbing was going to destroy the recorded music industry the way that uh, downloading later actually did. <laughs> downloading actually did. Yeah. I don't... I mean, or were I sales just yeah, down? I think sales were down. Coming off the like recession? I, my guess is it was, it was the recession. Uh, my also guess, I mean, I was still too young at the time, but like disco was such a big... Uh, influx of people buying music yeah so it was like everyone, a bubble that had burst yeah so it was a yeah. little bit of a bubble that burst so it's the early 80s and so you're probably coming down off that yeah and uh, I have heard uh, people say that uh, Thriller it, saved the record industry it's a, it's a, that's a little broad yeah but that 
but that it was a big reason why people uh, started buying more music. Intuitively, it, it kind of makes sense because I can think of other big albums from the early 80s, but not a ton of like monster, groundbreaking yeah. zeitgeist albums. And even the ones I can think of are more almost even culty, like The Clash or something like that. Yeah, right? around that time, yeah. So this would be the big one that one everyone owned. It. Everyone. Right, right, right. They had a method that they did things sonically. We do a tracking, and of course, you know, you come back and they put it on the big speakers, and it sounds all big and huge and everything. Then they quit, we go like, put it on a radio. Put lower time speakers, very small speakers on the top of the desk. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone remembers, like, yeah, of course it sounds great in the studio with our state of the art equipment. State of the art equipment. Play it on a shitty radio, and yeah. it still sounds That's good. So oh, it doesn't? Well, then we have to fix it. That's so smart. Yeah. It's also like egalitarian and democratic to be like, kids aren't going to listen to it on this equipment. Yeah. They're going to listen to it on their boombox yeah. or, or their shitty little turntable. So yeah. make sure it sounds good on everything. They're consciously making the effort to get it to the most people, right? to make it sound right to the most people. The pressure was on. The record company wanted the album ready to release as soon as possible. Michael didn't flinch, you know. He was so tired some nights, he was ready to fall on the floor. And Rod and, and Bruce and I are the same way. We'd stay up five days, five nights. Bruce would eat an engineer. Just on coffee, right? right? Yeah, just, just uh, that's all they were doing. Caffeine in, like, in, in goodwill? Passion, Maybe some passion, sugar? Passion. Well, again, Michael, Pro I don't... I mean, I know that he's a Jehovah's Witness and not a Mormon. I don't know what the Jehovah's Witness policy is on caffeine. I... That's a good question. And, I mean, not that Michael never used drugs. Obviously, we know later he would use yes. drugs. But I wouldn't be surprised if at this stage in his career, before he was on any painkillers, yeah. and uh, when he was young enough to have the energy, if he was able to just go, go, go and work all day at night on nothing. But to quote him, working day and night. Right. Um, but I would bet that, too. I would uh, – not. I, only, I want to believe that, but also seems right, like – you know, it's like uh, a basketball player who's 19 coming into the NBA and they can just play all night, not get hurt, not get right, tired. Right, right. Yeah. Quincy Jones, I assume, was doing key bumps by the kilo. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing. But <laughs> and the real good stuff, too. <laughs> yeah, Just yeah. the high quality. Quincy Jones is not going to do a bunch of shit coming yeah. flower. He's, he's not doing stuff that's been stepped on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not normal. Also, totally just disparaging Quincy Jones. I don't, I don't <laughs> we have no idea. We just love cocaine We're, jokes. I'm, yeah, I don't want to catch a slander. <laughs> no. I was just joking. That was We're just parody. joking. We, we love uh, <laughs> 80s cocaine jokes. Yeah. Days and nights, that's all I can tell you. They were carrying the second engineer's out on stretchers. And, and, and the musicians, too, they were tired, you know. But we were just all wired up and stoked up. And, and they were stoked. He said stoked, stoked up. Excited. Stoked yes. up. When they yeah. completed They were high on life. Yeah. yeah. Excited about the project. Look at the album. He decided four of them weren't Those, those are the sunglasses of a man who's high on life. <laughs> yeah, indoors. <laughs> and Lady in My Life. But there was still something missing. Love Lady in My Life. Yeah. And he said, we need something that's got, you know, a, a more rock feel to it. And uh, Micah went away and, of course, came up with beating. <laughs> Now this is the song that's not Michael. You have the girl's song. Yes, uh, I like "Beat It." It's not one of my. It's not one of my favorites off the album, but I do. I I do. I remember at the time I liked it more than I like it now. At the time it was, uh, oh my god, this is unbelievable. And I hear it now and I go, ah, Pyt and Billy Jean are better. "Beat It" sounds to me like someone who's not rock and roll. 
doing rock and roll. Right. Which is what it is. Oh. Okay. Yeah. It's like a simulacrum of rock and roll. I would take I would take beat it over thriller. Really? Yeah. Even at Halloween? Yeah, I'm so sick of fucking thriller. That's the thing is like that's what I mean by it. All of this music is so ubiquitous. Yeah. I can't if I heard beat it for the first time, I'd probably think it fucking kicked ass. Yeah. Exactly. And and the guitar solo is so really yeah. awesome. Do you find it weird to hear Thriller when it's not Halloween? Yes. Yeah. It's weird, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. It's it's like listening to Christmas music. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It shouldn't happen. Yeah. And he was playing and so on, and the monitor speakers literally caught on fire. The whole speaker was caught fire. Van Halen set the speakers on fire. This crazy. Really good. This song. <laughs> the technicians had to race into the control room with fire extinguishers and put out the... The fire. But this also. Set. I just I just pictured Quincy going like, "No, let it burn, let it burn. <laughs> we'll use it." Yeah, it is fascinating that like the beat it format worked so well from that he did it on the next two other albums. Yeah, and they didn't work as well. I mean, yeah, it is a, it is yeah. a classic. But, yeah, um, I. Uh, you think it didn't work as well? Are you talking about like bad? For well, bad, like right? well for no bad it was Dirty Diana. Oh, okay. which was uh, I'm thinking more of the videos. I oh, guess. I'm thinking of the uh, the, the extra song like yeah. get a guitar guy to do a solo here. Oh, so okay. on bad it was Steve Stevens who is uh, Billy Idol's guitarist. Dirty Diana. That's, that's not really the same. Good. And then Slash doing Black and White. And you're like, mm, yeah. it's not the well, I like Black and White because that is the album I remember being new, which was Teddy Riley. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that oh, on the yes. future New Jack Swing episode. Yes. When we came to hear the first pressing of Thriller, you know, we'd only finished the mix of beating at 7 a.m. that morning. And we were still there waiting wow. for Bruce to come back with his test pressing. So everybody's totally fried. <laughs> We're all looking at each other. Quincy's looking at Michael, and Michael's kind of shaking at it. And we decided that it wasn't ready. I snuck out and went across the hall in the studio to another control room where Michael was. He was sobbing. He yeah. was just crying and unhappy as could be because we hadn't achieved that sonic statement that wow. we had all wanted yeah. to they didn't get it right. So I just hold it there. And, and we all went across the hall into the other studio and uh, kind of a, nodded at each other and agreed that it all sounded awful. <laughs> those days, the days of the LP, if the playing time is long, the grooves will be too close together and it just doesn't work. Oh, really dry. You can get like 24 minutes a side or something like that. And the more music on it, the less sonic quality you have. Quincy said, okay, we're going to spend spend a day on each song. We're going to edit oh my them God. down. Gonna Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I never knew that about LPs. No, me neither. If it's longer, it makes the grooves thinner and the sound quality goes down. I would never have thought that. So the original edit of... Thriller was a longer album, and they had to edit everything down because it made it sound like shit. It's also interesting, too, that it sounds like what Quincy did is, okay, a day on a song, each song is going to get edited. Yeah. Instead of, well, let's take out a song. Right, because, yeah. again, Quincy is exactly the guy you want 
who can make those perfect decisions of we're going to yes. snip this here yes. and change this here and like surgically edit everything. That's genius. Rather than just yeah. lop off, chop off a song. Because you could have had a producer go, okay, it's long. Uh, okay, girl is mine. Gone. Yeah, well, that would never be the one you, <laughs> you pick. But – but and you, you would have been like, oh, okay, yeah. But he's like, no, no, every we're song gonna, is. We're going to work on every single track yeah. and edit each one down just as much as needed. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's Quincy Jones. Yeah. We're going to take this record to where it should be, and you know what? We literally blew everybody out of the water. <laughs> yeah, not exactly proper use of the word literally, but <laughs> it's okay. We don't need to be in copy editing. Yeah, exactly. We're off the clock. Right <laughs> you know, it's literally what I think of every time. I mean, the thing is, like, you don't know the experience of seeing this video when it came out. No, it's like, I mean, I remember watching it when I was a little kid, but not like the world yes, premiere. The world premiere where you had to go home. I had to go to a friend's house and see it because I didn't have And then you're just like, what? They did used to show it on MTV all the time, though, including the whole, like, making of with oh, John yeah, Landis yeah. and everything. Yeah. But yeah, there was a, there was just a quick ten minute retrospective of how Quincy Jones that, made that whole how they fixed the the length is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so thank you, Quincy, and thank you, Cocaine. I assume <laughs> we assume again for we, being able to make that album in eight weeks. Eight weeks. I can't do anything in eight weeks. Yeah. I mean that's that's enough time to make like twenty punk albums, but thriller, <laughs> thriller takes some doing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Those punk albums, yeah, it's good. Let's go next song. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, the next clip is yours. We're going to move more into your territory. Yeah, a little bit. bit. Uh, introduce this next clip. This I don't is, know what it is. Do you know who James Ingram is? I have heard the name James Ingram. I couldn't tell you a James Ingram song. You know some of his songs. You would know just once. It's a very maybe, slow song. Maybe you would know. Yeah. You would know Yamo be there. Oh, also produced by Quincy Jones. Yes, which is uh, Michael McDonald and James Ingram. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, James Ingram, like, if you had to pick a singer, uh, aside from Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. who was just so associated with Quincy Jones, it would be James, James Ingram. Ingram. Okay. James Ingram sang a lot, a lot of Quincy Jones songs. Um, and this one is a live version of their hit 100 Ways. It's a very, very sweet song. It's, it's a little, you can feel the jazz in it, but it's yeah. just, it's, uh, Quincy wrote and produced it. It's, okay, so it's more than just a production he wrote this? Yeah, it's on a Quincy Jones album. Okay. Um, Is there any particular reason you chose this song or just that you like it? I just like the song. Oh, okay. Uh, just Once is the other big James Ingram hit. Oh, I Don't Have the Heart to Hurt You. That's like a big song. Maybe you, if I heard it. You would know it. You always give me too much credit <laughs> with knowing a lot of. Uh, R&B yeah. from your childhood. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you know more about yeah. me? Um, so this is a big live concert. Uh, Quincy's in it. And this is James Ingram wailing. Wearing a tux. Yeah. This is classy. Yeah. So the whole song is basically like, find 100 ways to make your woman happy. Oh. That's That's basically the song. If it's violence she wants, twice as many ways as Paul Simon told us to leave. <laughs> exactly. See, Quincy did more, and he just hugged Quincy. He just hugged. So Quincy comes in and conducts. 
But yeah, James Ingram is really that late 70s, early 80s R&B singer. Uh, With some grit to it. A little bit, yeah. His voice had some grit, but he was he was a very... He, he still runs, he still sings. Uh, a very polished act. Yeah. And, um, and like the whole Quincy Jones orchestra behind yes, him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this was... Uh, this was really James Ingram's uh, milieu, if I may be so wrong. Okay. Thank you. Uh, French talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he wasn't like Teddy Pendergrass or Al Grant. They didn't get real. He was real, like, classy, 100 ways. Um, just once, another Quincy Jones song, which is a real sad song. Um, well, I'll have to play for you. Like, oh, yeah. So. I, I don't have, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I don't have trouble imagining this being on one of your college dorm room mixtapes. Uh, to no, dance to. It was not, only no, because no. it was too. Uh, it wasn't current enough at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah I didn't. Yeah. Was, and it wasn't old enough to be, like, retro cool. It just yeah. would have seemed square. It just seemed really weird, yeah. Um, I, yeah. This wasn't, uh, like, I knew more just once than 100 rights. Just once was a little bit of a bigger hit. Yeah, now he's getting awful set of Oh, yeah, he's got a range, too. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea where they are, uh, but it seems like a big concert. Yeah. Uh, there's a great moment between them at the very end, which I want to make sure I don't miss. Between James and Between James and Quincy. Quincy. And I like, I like Quincy Jones conducting... Because uh, he's so cool doing it. And I also go, I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> like, I know you're doing something. That's how I've always felt about conducting. Yeah. It's like, it's not nothing. No, you need to be there. But, but what are they doing flapping their arms around? Mm-hmm. Like, how is that information yeah. to the band? How is that helping the orchestra? Yeah. I don't know. All I like know dozens is- of people. <laughs> yeah. Two arms moving means something. To yes, them. exactly. And then uh, It's a mystery to me. All I know is that Quincy does it cool. Yeah. We saw a little bit of it with that live Ironside. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. He and was he, so animated. Yeah. Because that's a and song. At the uh, concert I saw last summer of his, he was same way. Yeah. You know, he, he got up out of his chair, conducted, and I'm like, I'm assuming something's happening. Yeah. And you look so cool doing it. I mean, music composition, for, for being such a music fan, I find the actual writing of music to be so mysterious and like magic. It, it feels like math to me. Like, like that's I why I don't get it. Yeah, it's me too. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> I get the artistic side of it. Exactly. not the it, mathematics. Yeah, side. you get the mood and the feel, but I was like, how to put it all together. And It's tough enough for me to conceptualize how some non-musician pop songwriter can just define like three simple chords into a new song. Yeah. Let alone someone like Quincy Jones who can compose something for an entire orchestra yeah. with all these moving parts and all these different instruments and be able to yeah. make something in your head come, come out. There's there's no new notes or chords being invented. Right. They're all the same. Everyone knows them, but just how to arrange them in certain ways is, yeah. is stunning. Okay, we're getting to the end. He's okay. going to wail here. All right, so he bows. Yeah. He goes to Quincy to give a high five. Quincy didn't see him and dissed him. I don't think he dissed him so much as he was still fucking conducting. He was still working. His he hands still go. Working. He's like, dude, I'm not going to. Dude, I can't. Because, like we said, 
this conducting <laughs> is not nothing. Yeah. This is like, no, they have to see what I'm doing. James is like, hey, he's like, James, yeah. you can't do it right now. If man. I lower my hand to shake your hand, then the fucking bassoons are gonna up. go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have that on my watch. I'm Quincy Jones. That's right. That's yes. Right. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, next clip is like, again. Okay. Something that you selected, I have no context for or familiarity with the name I, of the song or the group. This is not a group. Oh. This is a song from a movie. Okay, it says Fast Forward. The, and then this, The movie is called Fast Forward. I thought Fast Forward was a group. Which would be a great name. the song was called Breaking Out. The song is called Breaking Out. Yeah. Paul, I'm going to try to contain myself because I'm really fucking excited. Okay. This movie is uh, 1985, I believe. It's one of... The most important movies in my life for the ridiculousness of, of it. Is it a breakdancing movie? Yes, but. I'll okay. say that. Okay. It's a yes, but. Uh, this is a movie, uh, it's a dance movie mm-hmm. called Fast Forward mm-hmm. that Quincy Jones was the executive music producer for. Okay. Um, the story is about a group of kids from Sandusky, Ohio, who... How far away from your hometown is that? That is about... Two an hour and a half, two hours away. Okay, it's by it's it's real. It's like a lake, uh, summer town almost. Gotcha. Uh, there's a big amusement park called Cedar Point there for all you amusement park fans. Um, so and they're a singing dancing group, uh, who decide to take a bus to New York to try to compete in a battle of the bands. Okay, uh, without telling their parents, and that's the movie. Now, perfect for young teens yes. to get excited about. Now, what's fascinating is the movie was directed by Sidney Poitier. Really? <laughs> yes. Okay. So Sidney Poitier directed it. Quincy Jones was the music producer. All right. And this is the first song to uh, the movie. This is the first song you see in the movie called Breaking Out. It's real 80s, but I'll explain it as we see it. Uh, I just want to I want to mention that in that moment when you said Sidney Poitier directed it, yeah. my first thought was that's the weirdest pairing since I found out that Sidney Lumet directed The Wiz, which also oh, yeah. is, which also is a Quincy Jones <laughs> yes. involved production. Oh yes, it all comes together. I yeah. love that. Uh, yes, this is breaking out, and so Quincy didn't write this song, mm-hmm. but he was the executive producer, so he shepherded all the songs. It still counts. Yes. Like I said, he only wrote one song on Thriller. Yeah, exactly. He's still, still responsible for it. Oh, that's too breaking out. It's breaking out. So you got all so the... So world-weary. Yes. Okay. Just yes. A, just some ham and egger dancers. Yes. In a warehouse in Sandusky House. Okay. So just... Well, we'll let it play for a bit. Oh, this is already cool. <laughs> yep. How did you not pick this for one of our dance episodes? Oh, because I have another one. Because when we do our third dance one, uh, I have one. Because there's a whole dance battle. In New York movie. City from this movie. All right, a little teaser for everyone. Yes, and it's even better than this. So, it's, okay, here's what's weird about this. Yeah. You look at this and go, oh, this is a dance group. Yeah. No. No, it's not a dance group. This is a band. The, the people on screen right now. Yes. Okay. Because... They go to New York City yeah. to participate in a battle of a band to get a record contract. Okay, so then why are they dancing? Exactly. <laughs> That's why this movie is brilliant. And the whole and not just dancing, but like wearing leg warmers yes. and leotards yes. and tights. And, and essentially pretty much lip syncing. Yeah. Um, 
And they're not all freestyling. This is synchronized. This band. is synchronized, straight up jazz. But dance. they're not a dance group. No, they're a band. <laughs> they're a but band. they're not playing instruments. No, and they're dancing. No, Insane. he's the lead singer. Right. The women don't dance, mm-hmm. and the white guy way in the back is the lyricist. Okay, now you say the women don't dance, and I'm sorry, women don't sing. My okay, fault. I'm sorry. okay. They, the women, the women aren't singers in it, really. Right, but you, but you still said that they're not a dance group. They're not a dance. They're group. a band because they're going to a battle of the bands. No, I get it, but yeah. I'm watching them right now, and they're they're definitely dancing. Yes, but by the script logic, they're not. Okay, because they're going to New York to win a record contract. Right. To participate in the battle of the bands, when presumably they're going to play instruments and sing songs. Yes. And what's even is, is the music is the diegetic music we're hearing supposed to be their music? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they're dancing to their own music. Yes. That they're and not performing, but that they did perform to make this record. Yes. But dancing isn't a part of their performance when they do the battle of the band. No, it is. It's the whole thing. Oh. Even though the the guy's singing it. So at the battle of the bands in the end, the guy's singing, but it's all about the dance. Kirk, this makes no sense. I know. <laughs> That's why this movie is so important to me. Right. It's great. And here's the other thing, too. So they go to New York yeah. to, um, to to do the battle of the bands. They, get, they, they find out that they have to stay in New York longer than they anticipated. So they um, need to make money. So they make money by being street performers. Okay. And then... Another group of rough and tumble street performers like that's our turf dance off. Oh shit! Yes, which is what we'll see next time. This but was, this was this was a theatrical release, not a made for this TV. This was a theatrical release. Because no shade, but it does smack a little bit of like after school special. Yes, and yet it was written, directed by Sidney Poitier, yeah. and the oh, music was Quincy Jones. He wouldn't have directed it yes. if it was a TV yes. movie. Yes, yeah. but there's moments where they're like in the in the movie where they're like. We need to fucking get our dance moves tight. <laughs> we, the, the things that we were doing back in Sandusky were bullshit. Yeah. We're getting owned. Not once is there, we should work on the music. Not once. But they're not a dance group. But they're not a dance group. They're, they're a band. band. Yeah. It's the greatest movie ever. Okay, we're going to have to add that to our list of movies to watch when we do yes. movie ray gun. It's or wonderful. It's a wonderful movie. Yeah. Uh, just ridiculous 80s. And the music all sounds like that. Uh, God bless Quincy Jones for being a musical producer. <laughs> yeah, maybe not his peak as a as a music producer. But no, but I feel like it but was as like a film project. I feel like it was one of those things where I'm imagining it, but I'm going to pretend that it's real. Sidney Poitier is like, "Hey, Q, I'm doing this movie called Fast Forward. It's a uh, it's a uh, kind of a well." Musical Quincy thing. Jones did the music for In the Heat of the Day. Yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like he's like, yeah. I'll be music. He's like, I don't have time to do any music for it, but if you get guys to write the music, I'll supervise it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds good. And it's, it's equivalent to In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> yeah. Fast forward is. Fast forward. Exactly <laughs> the same. Exactly the same yeah. movie. Now, there was an artist in the early 90s who I remember well, mm-hmm. who for a hot minute was the biggest star yes. for tweens, mm-hmm. which I would have been. In 1991, I would have been 10 or 11. Yes, this is, he's perfect. And Tevin Campbell. Yes. Everywhere. For everywhere. like a real 15 minutes of fame. He, he he appeared simply out of thin air and seemed to disappear just as suddenly. Yes. he. So you knew – you did you know Round and Round from uh, the Prince album? Um, or you just knew Can We Talk? I knew I know Can We Talk much yes. better. Yeah. Yes. Do you know of Round and Round? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's but awful. I don't – 
but I don't know if I remember it or yes. if I just know it now. Yeah. But I'm old enough to remember when Tevin Campbell was a big deal. Yes. And do you know this? Is this no, I don't. It's a That's little before your time. Yes. What year is this? 89. Okay. So yeah. I didn't even realize Tevin Campbell was around that early. Yeah. He was dis- – I, I believe he was discovered by Quincy Jones. I misspoke to say that he only had 15 minutes of fame. He had in like my, a good three years. In my memory, when he was a sex symbol as a like 12 or 13-year-old for nine-year-old girls yeah. in the early 90s, that was – he burned bright and he, and he burned out. How I, Yeah. How I remember it is I remember him – being on this Quincy Jones album, which we'll talk about. Yeah, I remember him, literally, I remember him being on, like, Nickelodeon. Oh, my God, that's like, so funny. Yeah. He did this, and then, I think because of this, Prince is like, oh, that kid can fucking sing. Yeah. He's going to be on Graffiti Bridge. So he's in Graffiti Bridge. Oh, okay. Uh, I think maybe another, you mentioned yeah. that before, that he's in that. Yeah, movie. and he wrote Round and Round, and, and Prince wrote Round and Round, Tevin Campbell sang it. Yeah. It was a big hit. And then a couple, like, maybe a year or two later, came Can We Talk. Yeah, I don't want to... If I've made it seem like Tevin Campbell was a bunch of bullshit, I don't mean to because he actually no. was really good. He's really talented. He's yeah. saying, I think something happened like – I think he got caught with a prostitute. Oh, really? That's – I never heard of anything scandalous with him. I just thought sort of that was – and then he's kind of – and he's like, well, I'm out. Uh, that's – I could be wrong, but I thought that's the rumor. The rumor – I know that rumor has been that circulated for years that yeah. I right around after Can We Talk. But was it like swept under the rug? I don't know, okay. but I just remember that it all could. Just, I remember hearing about it on like radio stations because he was such a big star for such a brief period. But I think if you ask people who were even three or four years younger than me, mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't know who he is. Yeah, you know, like he's not remembered. No, and again, no. I'm not saying that to be shady because he was good. But he didn't have enough material. Yeah, to, and he just he he didn't he doesn't have staying power. Yeah, in the, in the yeah in the zeitgeist. Yeah, um, to use that word for the second time. Nothing wrong. With that. Anyway. Uh, this is tomorrow, parentheses, a better you, comma, a better me, close parentheses. Yes, I love this song. It's a very, it's a very sappy song. Uh, this is off of a comeback album that Quincy Jones had in 89 called Back on the Block. Okay. It is very late 80s, early 90s. Yes. Sort of. Art. And there's young Kevin Campbell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a little baby. Yeah. So this album... Back on the Block. It was a comeback album for him. It was big enough that he actually went on, uh, Quincy went on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And did a, a musical guest spot. Oh. Um, and he, most of the songs were covers. Uh, like, album. this is a cover. So oh, okay. This is an original. Do you know who the original artist I can't, is? I didn't, and I can't remember. But, like, he does a, uh, he did a, he brought um, Ray Charles in, in, and did I'll Be Good to You. Oh, uh, with Shaka Khan. Yeah, we we didn't even mention that Quincy worked with Ray Charles yeah, a lot. A lot. I yeah. mean, yeah. Um, As I said at the top, we barely scratched the oh, surface. Oh, there's so yeah. Forgot to mention in the heat of the night, like yeah. all the movies he did the soundtrack all stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, he worked with Miles Davis. Yes. I mean, it's unbelievable. But yeah, so this is this song is off of Back of the Block. Yeah. Um, and I remember hearing this song on the radio a bit. It wasn't huge, but it was one of those, oh, it's kids singing. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that the band who's backing him up is like a kid's jazz band. Kid's jazz band, yeah. So with I like, saw like a kid yes. drummer. And, so much, kids, they're, playing and then they're, they're playing with senior citizens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very, it's very sweet. Um, but the Back on the Black 
Back on the Block album had this song and had I'll Be Good to You, which was a Brothers Johnson song, yeah. uh, but done by Ray Charles and Chaka Khan. Um, he has a uh, the intro song has uh, a rap interlude with it with uh, Kumo D and Big Daddy Kane. Ooh, uh, yeah. They're not too cool to chill with you. Yeah, not too cool. Yeah. Um, and then they have like then he's got like a song called "The Secret Garden," which is a, a that I know. Yeah. yeah, that one was Barry White, Albie Shore. James Ingram and Elba Barge, I believe. That's, yeah. Wow, you could pinpoint the month they recorded that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you triangulate those artists that they got to appear on that track, you can figure out the week that they yeah. just put that together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, when were Albie Shore and... Uh, Elder Barge, both in the public consciousness. Ooh, 89, because uh, Albie was uh, going up. Yeah. Al, Al, Al was slowly there. Right. And then they put that uh, uh, Barry White in. And Barry just, White, yeah. Just throw them in. And then James Ingram, because James Ingram was Q's uh, man. Um, Got a little bit of smoothness in here. Yes. And they, they don't play this a lot on, like, Classic R&B or uh, uh, smooth jazz. You hear it on a Sunday morn. Yeah. Early Sunday morn, they'll play this, and you're like, ah, yeah, this uh, my morning's going well now. I would love to see a huge comeback for Tevin Campbell. It would like, be I'd amazing. love him to reappear with like an adult contemporary R&B yeah. album that just hits. Just something grown up, and yeah, yeah. I mean, because he's like ghost. I don't even know. Like, there's no. I don't even know if he's like. Because, you know, he could easily be like a Summer Jam tour with Tevin Campbell and yeah. Vogue and, you know. Yeah. But not even that. Nope. I think he's just like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we have one more. Yes. I figured this, you, this is this is your era. Absolutely. And this is the main thing I think of when I hear the name Quincy Jones. That's so funny. Because of just how old I am and how important this yeah. TV show was to me. Yes. Quincy Jones was not involved in a lot of TV projects, but he executive produced and did all the music for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. Which I was shocked to discover when we did our new edition episode, you never watched. But then it made sense because you would have been in your 20s at the yeah. time and you probably weren't watching sitcoms a lot. No, I was out at the bars. But this is, I would, I would say this is my favorite sitcom because it's the one, it's the one that I grew up with and yeah. I think the one that has aged the best. Like I still watch clips from the show and it's hilarious. Like it holds up so well. The humor. That's so funny. Yeah. See, this was a little after me because like I knew of it. I might've caught it here and there. Yeah. But because I was out and being 20, it was, so for me, the, the best sitcom, because it is when I was growing up would be Cheers. Because I was like 11 when that, 10 or 11. Yeah, I never, I never saw yeah. that whenever. It was, so it's yeah. like once you hit 10 or 11, it's like that first like, this is amazing. This is for me. Yeah. Yeah. So this uh, Fresh Prince premiered in 1990 and wrapped up in 96. So for me, that's age 8 to 14. Well, I would have been 13 when it ended. Still, so, though, that's like you probably saw all the episodes. Yeah, I watched every yeah. episode of the show. Were, and because you remember a sitcoms. At the end of the episode, it would always be like freeze frame, and then the yeah. title would come up would say executive producers and whoever the exec producers yeah. were of any show. So I would see Quincy Jones's name every week as the producer of 
Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So yeah. that's how that's my closest association with Quincy Jones is is the Fresh Prince. That's of your Bel-Air. like first. Everything else is you're an adult looking back, right. finding his stuff. Right. I never yeah. heard of him before. That. Yeah. I uh, I thought he was a TV producer. You must have been like. Holy fuck, the guy that did Fresh Pints did Thriller? Every time, yes, every time I'd hear about something Quincy Jones did, whether it was Michael Jackson yeah. stuff, the theme from Austin Powers, like, it's like, okay, yeah, the guy from, who made Fresh Pints. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't even create it, like Andy Barowitz created it. He just put his name on it, he's executive. Yeah, I don't know what his role was outside of composing all the music. Yeah. But the, I, the, Arguably the most iconic thing about the Fresh Prince of Bel Air is the opening theme music. Now, anyone my age knows every single word. I was just about to ask. Do you know it? Do I know. You, I you, know the first line. Okay. <laughs> Basically, so you could, I mean, I could. You could just like you. It's could, like muscle memory. Yeah. Like, I just know it. Yeah. It's by heart. It's you could write a sentence time. and do the rap at the same time. Yes. Right, right, right. So th- what I'm about to say won't mean as much to you, but. We're going to watch the opening the opening titles from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm-hmm. But we're going to watch the opening titles from The Pilot, which has two extra verses and therefore two extra <laughs> scenes <laughs> in the opening titles. That's so funny. Which they eventually took out when the show got picked up. Right. It only it, – yeah. but if you see The Pilot on TV, it's still intact. So I had a moment when I was like 10 or like 11 or 12 years mm-hmm. old when I was watching a syndicated repeat of The Pilot. And like this extra scene came on with this other verse, and I was like, "What is this?" And I remember being in school telling me like, "There's another verse to that song where he talks about like drinking orange juice," and everyone was like, "What are you talking about, idiot?" And I was like, "No, I swear." And it was like trying to convince my friends I saw a ghost. <laughs> like there was no. And then there's also like there's a fully recorded like four minute recorded version of the song that has even more extra verses. Oh my god! That we're not going to hear. So there's so much more than but. But this has two extra verses. One, uh, after his mom decides you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air, but Mm -hmm. before he gets to Bel Air. And then after that, one where he's on the plane traveling to California. How do you, where did you stand on the whole Aunt Viv controversy? Oh, the original Aunt Viv. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I I say I watched every episode, but I sort of dropped off. At the first three seasons is one Aunt Viv. Yeah. And the second three seasons is the second Aunt Viv. And I have no time at all. <laughs> no way. No. Janet Hubert is the only Aunt Viv. Hot take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the original full-length opening titles to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And the song was co-written by Quincy Jones with Will Smith. Oh, really? Yes. And what if he did the music for it? Yes, he did. Yeah. I can't believe you don't know every word. I know that first part. Okay. Actually, now, now I don't know it. I know that part. Okay. Oh, my this God. This is so... I've probably heard this song more than any other song <laughs> in the world. It's so funny. I saw some clip where he was on Ellen or whatever, and she was like, "Will you do this song?" And he performed it, but he just held the mic to the audience. Uh, yeah, and they, they did. The Everyone song. knows. Everyone. Uh, yeah. Okay, here's the extra verse. So, like I said, this, okay. Put my Walkman on. Now back into the part people know. Okay, I do. I can tell. Having known the song, that I can tell that it is different. Yeah. 
I also want to point out something that I only just noticed when I was putting this episode together mm-hmm. and rewatched this, and I haven't thought about since I moved to L.A., but he gets to Hollywood and – because I see whenever I see the Hollywood sign yeah. in footage now, I'm always like, "Oh, where did they shoot this?" Because this looks like it's in yeah. probably in like Griffith Park or something. It looks like because it's a little it's a little high up, so it could right. it seems pretty close to the sign. But it's also like, "Oh, you just got off the plane, did you?" In LAX, <laughs> yeah. which is like 45 minutes to an hour away, and in not good traffic, right? And you're getting a cab from the Hollywood sign to Bel Air, which is like I don't know how many Way miles away west. Yeah. Now, it's so why didn't you just go there for most? But I, I understand they're just showing yeah. the Hollywood sign. But yeah. now that I live in L.A., I think in terms of, like, where is the Hollywood sign yeah. in relation to other things? As a Los Angelian, you think about driving and traffic. Yeah, LAX is way, way the fuck out in East Japan. Way the fuck, yeah. yeah. I could say that this cab was where, but I thought, man, forget it. Yo, home to Bel Air! Yeah, producer, Quincy yeah. Jones. Quincy Jones. That's a big thing I remember hearing. Just love the fashion too. Like this, the the show holds up as it's written, but it's also the most dated thing from the early nineties. Like just the the font and the color palette. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Sounds great. I had to end it on that, both because it was in chronological order. Yes. Because that to me is just the. It's the birth of Quincy Jones in my brain. Yes. I have a quick Quincy Jones story that Mm -hmm. I might have told you off air, but I spent one day temping at his office. Ooh. uh, When I first moved to L.A. So this is maybe like 97, Is it like Quest or what's it called? Yeah, Quest or Q3 or something like that. Okay. So, I'm sure he has a few different like production yeah, companies. And this was this was, but it was the uh, it was his main. It was the big office. It was yeah. the main office, and uh, it was for one day to work at the front desk and answer the phones. So you were a receptionist for. Quincy I was a receptionist company. for one day. Yeah, they only needed me for one day. I will stay for the record. They were incredibly nice. They were so to a cool one day temp, bro. To a one day temp, they were like, okay, just don't do anything. Just answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Do you have something to read? Because like I think we can find some magazines for you if you just want to read. And I was like, no, I got a book. That's fine. They're yeah. like, and the three, the two think great things were they gave. I was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm happy to be there. I, I, I love Quincy Jones. And yeah. they gave me three CDs. Of oh, that's music. awesome. One of them was like a live jazz album yeah. that I still have. Yeah. And the thing was, uh, the office manager was like, okay, just answer the phone and don't worry about it. We have one rule: you have to answer the phone within three rings. Because Quincy will get upset if it goes past three, and I said, "Good for him. Good for him." Yeah, because yeah. he's like, "Don't, don't keep people waiting. If you're on the phone with someone, just put them on hold, then answer that next one and go back." And I was like, "Absolutely, okay." Yeah, it sounds like the thing where it's like, he's tough, but it's in, it's in. The, the point is customer service. Yeah, no, he was. It was a very like you need to follow that one rule. Right. But it's, 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 he's being tough about, it's not about his ego. It's no. About it's about running the tight ship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's very cool. Good. That's a yes. great story. Yeah. A great way to wrap it up. <laughs> <Put a> button <laughs> on a curve. But that's all for this episode of Music Ray Gun. Our logo is by Kyla Pellucci. Bagweed did our theme music. My cat Martha has a furry belly. <laughs> if you like what you heard, please write a review and rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. Also, please tell your friends about us because word of mouth is the best way to share the show. 
You can email comments and questions to musicraygun at gmail.com. I'm Paul Champanelli. I'm Kirk Pinchon. Until next time, see ya!